Hello, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Forest Creek Podcast. Thank you for tuning in for part two of our enlightening discussion with Father Anthony Paul, Coptic Orthodox priest. If you haven't already, I'd highly recommend listening to part one of our discussion. It might help things to make a little bit more chronological sense. Or you can listen to everything backwards. It's kind of fun, like time traveling. If you want to time travel even further back and listen to some of our older shows, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and probably a bunch of other places soon, all of them at the Forest Creek. But for now, without further ado, part two of our discussion with Father Anthony Paul. So... There is this kind of ancient idea that pervades the modern world, and we touched on this a little bit before. It's the idea that we create our own gods rather than vice versa. Mm-hmm. And some people kind of tend to tie it to nihilism, you know, the belief that there is no meaning, there is God is dead, all that stuff. Yeah. Or the idea that uh, in a world that's lacking divine ordination, if there is no objective truth, if you accept that to some extent, you have to kind of make your own meaning. And yeah. Nietzsche, the guy who invented nihilism, kind of does that through the Ubermensch philosophy of you become God, you figure it out, you start to order your own world. It's still a little bit kind of true in a kind of more hippie way. We're just like, we're just on a journey, man. We're going to figure out our own meaning. <laughs> in that way um captain my own ship does it fall to us to create our own meaning in that sense or is it does religion necessitate that there's a pre-existing meaning to be sought out then i think it does and that's what what would differ from religion to religion right it would either tell you that you have meaning or or it could possibly tell you that your meaning is non-meaningful right so for example if you look at the babylonian religion of the time of the exile of the jews their mythology has the gods got in a fight, they killed their mom, and like their dad was angry because like they were being loud while he was trying to sleep, right? And that then, long story short, at some point they used the blood to create humans and the, and the meaning of humans is to serve the gods, right? So then anybody who's subscribing to that religion theoretically can only find meaning, like objective meaning in the context of being on the whim of the gods with whatever that entails, even if it is a, a subjectively negative experience. Um, the non-religion is doing the exact same thing. They're creating, their, their, they're making up stuff and telling people, suggesting to people what it should be. Um, and that's when like, it depends on the claim of the religion. To, so to a Christian, I, I would emphatically like, yes. Yes, to us, we are saying here is your objective meaning, right? It's not something to discover Actually, to us, it's not even something to become. Um, it's saying that everybody already has that meaning, is, is one of our claims. You can embrace it or, or, or spurn it, but that your, your meaning is always found in your sonship or daughtership to God. Mm-hmm. Um, like, where it's like, that's, that's your identity. And that the goal of creation is X. And so it's just a matter of, am I living according to that meaning or not? That's where I have an option. But we're claiming you don't have an option about being who you are. You're already that. Whether you profess the faith, did the whole I believe thing, whether you're baptized, or like, oh, you're still dad's kid. Right? To us, it yeah. becomes a question of like, are you intentionally living in that relationship, both with dad and the family, um, or not? 
right? Another religion might have a different um, claim and what makes a person have meaning. So I'm like, that's where I think we all differ from one another. Like, what is our claim about those things? The claim, again, we get back to the idea of there is the objective truth that acts like as a flagpole to some extent, and you can work your way from there. You need the point of, you know, you can't just be a single boat in the ocean with no idea where to navigate. That's why we use the stars. We need a second point to kind of figure out our direction in that way. And so if you plant it with objective truth, the idea of God, then at least you have that second point to navigate from. I'll move on to the next question shortly, but I just got a bunch of messages from my Catholic friend begging to join us. Oh, cool. So, so he's on his way over. Um, I'm going to make him sit quietly. <laughs> <laughs> so the next question I got here on the topic of nihilism, mm-hmm. kind of continuing on. If nihilism, to some extent, if you don't, because a lot of people just like the first half. They don't like the you become your own god. They don't like the you find your own meaning part. They're just like, oh, god is dead, so I have the free pass now. Yeah. And what that kind of seems to leave you with, though, is that you've got nothing left here but entropic decay. You know, it's just the forces of entropy that are slowly bringing everybody to death, and you're circling the drain may as well Mm. hedonistically kind of suck up as much of it as possible. That's very true of a lot of the attitudes of, like, younger generations, especially, that a lot of people start viewing their brains as dopamine machines, and we're just kind of playing it like a controller. Is it has it been spiritually effective to use religion as the antidote to this? You know, I'm sure a lot of people are kind of stuck on this problem of like, how do we reinstill values when we got rid of them? And that's where I'm like, you can't divorce the spirit from the theology from that governs it. Because it's like, I mean, we're making claims about it. And saying that something is wrong, we mean it objectively, right? We don't just mean it in terms of preferred, right? So I think that the struggle is communicating that and that's where everything we talked about kind of comes in like these flag points these cultural issues like those flag points are what makes a person orthodox versus catholic right yeah. like that word in the in, in the whole thing right like the biggest sign was being like what do you think of jesus and then after that being like what about these other things that are governing what we're claiming to be fact basically they're the dogma part which is like comparable to law in science right that within science you have your law and you have your theory Theory needs to conform to law, right? And you can have varying levels of theory, right? But these signposts for us are the dogma, and that's where the orthodox part comes in. And I think that in the effort to try and simplify and be cool or approachable, um, and I'm not anti either of those, but just not at the expense of truth, we have underplayed the truth part of saying this is why it matters, mm-hmm. right? Because to us is saying, like don't put your finger in the in the socket you might you will you'll get electrocuted if it actually goes in it's not our preference about whether you get electrocuted by putting it in it's that we believe that you really will that actually will happen right and i think that that's what gets lost in discussions of faith because there's an assumption that it's not grounded in real objective reality that it's always blind and like ethereal in nature where it's like no we believe that there are real things and i think that's what's been lost so that i'm like i don't know that it's the damage has been from how the question is not has religion done well to fix that in the sense of if religion was done rightly i think it would i think because religion hasn't been done rightly or taught rightly is I think what created so many of those issues that we're now trying to fix, 
I'm like, if we had done it right, we probably wouldn't have got there. And so it's like the way we talked, what we did, not making that distinguishment distinction between what's objectively right and wrong, trying to force a culture on other people. Like all of those are historically why everybody is rebelling is those very things. It's interesting what you said at the beginning of that was that you know you can't divorce the theology from the spirituality. And it's almost like that's what we're trying to do to some extent. It's like, you know what you need is some yoga yeah, and some SSRIs. <laughs> that's the, right. Well, Which is, sorry, I'm on a tangent now because I'm just like, a person practicing yoga independently of Buddhism, which is a subset well, of, of Hinduism, actually, yeah. exactly. Like, I'm like, if you want to follow the, the, the path, is like somebody going into a Coptic Orthodox church or any Orthodox church and being like, yo, that sensor, he's swinging with the smoke. That's cool. That makes me feel good. Yeah. I'm going to go buy one and do it around my house. And I'm like, oh, you physically can. Right. Yeah. But you've divorced it from what it is and what it does and what its meaning is. You took it out of its context. You gave it a new one and you made it serve this new God, which is you. Um, <laughs> right. And it's just like, that's what I mean. Like, I, I love that you use that as an example of being like, but no, like, I wonder, I don't know enough. Like I, I, I vaguely studied in world religions, Hinduism and Buddhism, but I wonder what like the early fathers, quote unquote, of those religions would think of how yoga is being used today. Like if they're cringing and they're like, no, 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 that's not what it is. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned something earlier about, you know, some of the monks, they didn't want to preach to like take in any Westerners, for instance. Mm -hmm. And I've actually heard the same thing in a number of religious or spiritual traditions or even cultural ones right you have the the japanese zen monks mm -hmm. early on took the same exact approach it's like if you're not japanese we don't want to teach you um certain even martial arts styles in china they don't want to teach you their kung fu if you're not chinese mm -hmm. um we hear the same thing from practitioners of yoga it's like you're not indian yeah. you're not from even this part of india we don't want to teach you yeah in that way so there is again the barrier of entry with these things ethnicity and culture can really become that yeah. even though you always think about theology and spirituality they're things in the mind they don't pertain to our physical being so how can it be stuck to the color of my skin yeah or the language i'm speaking for right. instance even though i guess in the sense of language it can become a tool for understanding that anyway not to go too far down the rabbit hole so we were on the topic of nihilism. On the flip side of nihilism, it has a more optimistic cousin, absurdism, popularized by Albert Camus, with the line that one must imagine Sisyphus happy. Uh, Sisyphus being that Greek character who's in Hades, sentenced there by Zeus, and he has to roll up that rock every time. To the nihilist, entropic decay, Sisyphus just keeps rolling that thing up, and it's as pointless as life because it has no meaning. The rock goes right back down the hill. But Camus kind of turns it around and says, what if he's happy? If he's happy, isn't the happiness its own meaning? So it kind of pokes at this look towards the natural state of entropy instead as good. And it made me wonder, is Christianity designed to combat entropy or to accept it? Neither. I think, um, like, cause even that is like, it's, it's a good example of what we we're talking about earlier being like, who decided that happiness was good? Right. Right? Like, like that's random, right? Like, who, who cares if Sisyphus is happy? Right? Like, is there... How did we know that the meaning was in the walking up? Right? The person who told him, like, like Zeus, 
was he right to say it or not right to say it? Is it like it's it's literally trying to take one scene out of context and use it to frame the whole narrative. Interesting. Right? So that's why I'm just saying I don't think it's the Christianity is dealing with either directly in the sense of we're not trying to answer that question. Right? We're 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 trying to answer the question that we believe to be objectively true, not just philosophically true. Right. I was saying like that very first question about Coptic Orthodox Christian. It's the Christian part. I was saying, if Jesus is who he says he is, what's the narrative, right? What does that mean, right? And then the Orthodox part, the Catholic part, comes in to be like some of these signposts along the way of like, okay, so how do I interpret this? How do I react to this? Like, what's true about this journey? How do I evaluate it? Where, to be honest, like the Orthodox Catholic were on the same page of virtually everything um, in terms of living. Right, so it would be about the whys and having some objective meaning, and that emotions bow to the meaning, right? For the in terms of the Sisyphus being happy part or being like, it's going to sound horrible. I, I, we don't care how you feel, um, <laughs> like in in the sense of like it has nothing to do with whether it's good to do or not. Yeah, um, and then to the nihilist of being like, it's just objectively stupid to do certain things. And objectively good to do certain things and that our assessment of those is rooted in this claim about jesus being god right without again the objective truth flagpole yeah your being happy doesn't really mean anything yeah that's an interesting thing to think about i guess if there is anything useful about absurdism is that it kind of gives a nihilist the excuse to be optimistic and that can sometimes kind of lead to you getting out of the rut of being a nihilism, of thinking there is no meaning right. in some sense. But then are you really out of the rut or do you just feel like it? Interesting. What? I guess your mood is improved. <laughs> That's all we can really say. I'm happily in the same state. Yeah. <laughs> this one I've kind of quite curious about. What is original sin? How do we define it? And is this the story of the Garden of Eden that has to tell it? What is the apple in that story? I can answer that. <laughs> AD, where did you come from? Uh, You're not just, the one I booked for this podcast. <laughs> I hopped in. But uh, I, I'm, I think if I'm not mistaken, original sin, that's more of a Catholic term, right? I don't think the Orthodox use original sin. They use like ancestral sin or something different. Um, I was very close to becoming Orthodox. So I did a ton of research into the, you know, uh, into the East. And there's a lot that I that I love. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I think original sin was more of the Western fathers kind of like, particularly with St. Augustine. Um, but uh, the East, they don't, I don't think they have the same, the exact same understanding. It's similar, but it's, I believe it, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's not the same. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty compatible now um, because I think we used to really hyperemphasize that difference because I think there was a phase in Catholic life where a particular reading of it was emphatically done. But I think the Catholic catechism today is so open to it being used both ways, actually. I really like that mm -hmm. it's now not forcing a certain way. But I th I think where we we'd agree on is, is this idea that the fall had an effect beyond just the individual who falls, right? Of saying, so even, even St. Augustine, um, when I finally read on Original Sin, wasn't saying what I thought he was saying by pop culture standard, right? Where he's just saying, you can't divorce incarnation of christ you can't divorce the sacraments from that something really happened mm -hmm. in that event right, right? Yeah. and like we'd all agree 
right? Mm-hmm. Where we might disagree is on like, okay, am I guilty of what he did? That's where there's some philosophical debate. The orthodox emphasis more on you don't inherit the guilt, you inherit the consequence. And that's like, and today East is meeting West, I think very yeah, uh, Yeah, the catechism explicitly says that, right? That you yeah. don't inherit the guilt of Adam, but the effects, the yeah. consequence of that, the sin you do, right? Exactly. And so, uh, well, yeah, like death entered into the world and exactly all all this all this dysfunction um and you know the old testament kind of one just gets worse and worse and worse (laughs) so to get back to that part of the question though what is the apple and that is where (laughs) depends on what tradition you're in where that's being become contentious very much Mm -hmm. contentious in in our tradition (laughs) this is why i'm jealous of the catholics because they went through this like 60 years ago so like they get to move on whereas we're having the debates today about allegory versus literalism versus mm-hmm. all of that i think what we'll all agree on so i don't get myself in trouble by anyone who listens to this is that something really happened right that there was a design of creation and creation strayed from design mm-hmm. and the cause of the strength from the design is a corruption and decay materially and spiritually of of, of creation um, that needed a fixing Right. I'd almost say that the details of some of those are like what we we're talking about earlier, of like there's law. Right. And then there's theory. And within theory, you can have well established and less established. And as long as they don't break laws, we're fine. Um, and so I think there's a lot of debate that's in the realm of theory, but being presented as a debate in the realm of law. Um, I think we'd all agree that there's a law that something happened. There's a real creation, intentional creation, um, regardless of the mechanism of it. Was it a literal boom? There's a human or was it evolution? Right. There's room for debate in those Um, is the fall. Some of the early fathers debated was the fall an event of one person or was it not Um, like, but they'll come back to that. You're designed. You're supposed to be something when you didn't. You broke it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the consequence of breaking was beyond the breaker. Right. And that it it needed fixing and all the consequences. It can be hard to view that in a context that sometimes because you almost look at it like well that event that original sin was the impetus for me existing it was what gave me the freedoms to think and feel and uh you know arrive at the same conclusions that i do now mm-hmm. how can it have been bad if it enriched my life in some way like some people see it as the apple is free will in some sense. Oh, I see you're asking. I think right. I sent to the question. If I can kind of relate this a little bit, there's, again, I love Greek myth. There is the story of Promethean fire, yeah. where Prometheus steals fire and gives it to the humans, even though the humans were like homunculi that Zeus made as playthings. He's mm-hmm. like, well, don't break my design. And then the idea that the fire was stolen was kind of like it added that original sin to it, in that he broke the design to you know, give humans that free will kind of look or whatever it was that kind of inspired it. Which is, I don't think what we're saying doctrinally. So the tree wasn't evil and the knowledge wasn't evil. Um, When we use it as a symbol of free will, it's, it wasn't to signify free will being wrong. It was about a wrong use of free will. Right. So if you read some like the early church fathers, many will write things like, Oh, there's going to be a time where Adam ate from that on purpose, like sanctioned. Right. Like, like we're not allowed to drive till we're 16. I don't know if that's the same thing in BC, but um, where it's like, it's not because driving is evil. Right. Like I could drive like, and some people might even be capable of driving at eight. That could be weird, but maybe. Right. Right. But just saying that it's not about the driving. 
um, per se, and that there'd be a right time to do it. Mm -hmm. So we're not saying, and that moron Adam, his mistake is wanting to have choice. It's like, well, he was given choice. Like the choice was intentional. Like giving him the freedom to choose was intentional. Yeah. Um, as opposed to what I what I do with my choice, which is the universal problem today, right? Like, what do I do with my choice? And and recognizing that my choice isn't just personal. I think that's where original sin really comes in, right? It's saying like a personal decision is never really just personal, right? There is always an impact on a sphere greater than just myself. It's really interesting to think about too, because. I don't know, when we reflect, you know, as you say yourself, it was the fall in mm -hmm. some way. So before that was the alma mater, the golden age, the mm -hmm. Edenic period. And when you think about it in that sense, like if everything was working according to design, it almost seemed like the intention was for everything to just be animals and plants in some way. And that in following the order that God had preordained was to just be in nature. You know, and the way that we, you know, the way the cat comes in this room and the way he acts was exactly according to God's design. Mm -hmm. But me thinking and deciding things and eventually, I guess in that way, sinning is not. Right. And sin for us is saying straying from how you're designed, right? As mm -hmm. opposed to breaking right. a rule, right? So, like, imagine if you're selfish and you're like, imagine if, like, dad comes home and there's, like, dinner on the table and there's four members of the family and there's one and a half pieces of chicken. If I lunge for the for one piece to be like, I, I need to make sure that I eat, right? I made a personal decision based on whatever I did it on of I, I want, I need, whatever my reasoning is, I decided I'm taking, right? There's going to be effects. It might be the next day, it's just like, I better lunge faster because of whoever else now is going to be reacting to me. Right. It might be I'm going to yeah. punch someone in the face, you know what I mean? But I'm saying is like suddenly like... We got different yeah. because of people's decisions. Kind of Aristotelian as well, right? Because Aristotle talked about, like, when you define something as good, it's it's according to the end, the final end of the thing, mm -hmm. right? And so you can't really determine the good of a thing if you don't understand the end or the purpose of it, right? Because that's, that's, you have to compare it to something, right? So, for example, he talks about a knife. A knife is to cut. That's mm -hmm. the purpose of a knife. A bad knife is a knife that doesn't cut well. Right. Right? And so the, the challenge is, like, well, how do you, what is the purpose of the human being? Yeah. If we can't establish some, some, um, some standard of like what, what, like a, a, a definite end for the human being, then it's, it, it's, it becomes difficult to know whether it's like, is he going <laughs> to, to, is he good or is he bad? Right. right. And to even use that as your an analogy, I think that's a good analogy. It's like if it was a bad knife, is that there's consequences that affect more than, more than others. Right. If I, suddenly can't cut this fruit into pieces or this meat, I'm forcing people to bite into gigantic pieces, which might have its own effect, right? right. It might numb my teeth. It might make me glut. Like, I'm just saying is that that bad knife caused something more than just, it's like the butterfly effect, but on, in, on a human nature level. When we get back to sinning, it's like, you're not putting premium gas in the car. Yeah. This car needs premium gas. Mm -hmm. If you don't put premium gas, it's not going to run well. And then straying from the design mm -hmm. can cause a number of other things to yeah. fall apart. I guess I had it in here because I've heard it a few times, especially from younger people asking in like Q&As and everything. They're like, why do we have free will if it causes us to stray from design? Wouldn't everything just be better if we didn't have free will? So it kind of made me wonder, is free will good or evil in itself? But I guess we kind of 
answer that a little bit. I mean, in the Christian tradition, when we say you're created in the image and likeness of God, it means sharing his characteristics. And one of those characteristics is autonomy. So it's, to us, intrinsically good to have will. And it's also the only thing in my possession that allows me to love. Right? Because it's, it's the only thing that allows me to show favor to something. Right? Otherwise, you're, you're reduced to being a robot. Um, so that's what I'm like, is to say, get rid of it, just saying, okay, don't let me love. And that's when like, it's this weird thing in modern society. I'm like, on the one hand, you're saying that, but you hate being controlled. But you're also saying, I would like to be controlled. Whereas just like, which one do you want? Like, do you want to choose or do you want to be mm-hmm. predetermined even in your individual behavior? It's almost like we're missing that definition, that part of the definition of when we say something like love is that it's necessary for you to choose to love mm-hmm. in order for that to actually be love in that way. Yeah. It's an interesting way to think about it. So moving on a little bit, when we get to it, what in layman's terms is God? Why is the term so fluid? Is God the universe itself? Is God the force of physics in it? Is he the embodiment of objective truth? I think we kind of brushed on this earlier. And is it even possible to define God in the first place? And that's where it depends on which religion you belong to is is what claim you're doing. Right, like the the Christian claim is God is a person, God is a who, not a, not a what. Right, so God in the Christian tradition is Trinity. Like that's who He is. Like that's His state of existence. Right, and then God is author of creation, so God can be, be approached the through end, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right, yeah. but it's saying that all three participate in the creation. Right. Okay. Um, but. You can see a designer through design. So we we wouldn't object to saying, I can see God through nature. Um, I wouldn't say that nature is God. I guess it's the, it's the if we're going to get philosophical, the difference or, or, or formal, I mean, the difference between pantheism and panentheism, right? God in everything a Christian's fine with. God is everything we're not okay with. Um, but there are religions that would claim that. So I mean, it depends on now what religion and what claim that they're right. that they're making. I guess like the Hindu have the Atman and Brahman, yeah. for instance. Yeah. yeah. Jumping back into it. Does the church compete with social media influencers? Many people, especially secular folk, secular folk, seem to find people like Jordan Peterson or Andrew Tate, for instance, especially with young men, to be almost more palatable than, you mm-hmm. know, white squares or wizard beards. In some way. So we're, we're almost, I don't know if it's an accessibility thing or because it's almost removed from the institutional context, that it's almost a little easier to hear the values. And we kind of talked about this a little bit with the idea of being spiritual, but not religious mm-hmm. or, you know, practicing yoga, but not actually learning it from a guru, for mm-hmm. instance. Um, so it, does the church have to find itself competing with people who do that? in some sense, who are able to take the value and then run away and put it on Instagram or whatever. I think once the church starts competing, she's lost. Interesting. Right? Like, it's 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 supposed to be what we believe. That's something that the job of the church is, is theoretically to proclaim the truth. That's it. Right? Is that we call ourselves the people of God. Right? And that we are participating in that life. I think that it's going to happen that there's going to be people competing. Right? Like, socially. Because... The body's made up of real people who have real influences. Um, I think people like Jordan Peterson and Shapiro, for example, who 
I haven't watched or listened enough of, of either. I see the lure. I think that part of it might be like, oh, wow, that person like said what like people aren't willing to say or scared to say, or there's like, there's that, there's that wow shock factor. Um, and I think that in the ethnic Orthodox culture, because there's not and to most people enough culturally relevant people, I think there's an even bigger lure because you see phenomenon like in the Roman Catholic Church of people like Bishop Barron, mm-hmm. um, who have that same charisma that the religious congregate around. Whereas I highly doubt I don't get any vibe that Bishop Barron's competing. He's he's just actually doing his job, mm-hmm. right? And that has been attractive. Um, so there are people who will use him to compete. But I don't think that's what he's doing. You know what I mean? That's like the right. people are going to react the way that they react, right? But the church has to be church, right? And then someone like Jordan Peterson needs to find out what is Jordan Peterson, right? Like in his mind, is that am I a proclaimer of truth? What am I? Um, am I just doing my profession and it took on this look? Right. Um, you know what I mean? I guess a lot of people tend to look at it like it's Donald Trump's 4D chessboard and he's moving the church. He's moving the bishop mm. across, you know, trying to... F- win something here in the culture war even though that's not the game the church is playing at all right well like there definitely are churches that have started engaging in kind of like a competitive nature and you can start seeing that in like the way that they evangelize is almost like a salesman yeah and it's crazy now because we know like through psychology and all these experiments we know like the particular ways in which we can manipulate people you know propaganda and things like that and so you basically literally get christian propaganda that's a real thing. They've right? made four <laughs> God is not dead movies. <laughs> that is my favorite example. I like the second one. To <laughs> the news voice. <laughs> and I'm like, that guy was Tarzan growing up. Um, the main actor. He used to be Tarzan. I forgot his name. Kevin Sorbo. Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> so on the, Hercules, top, sorry. on the topic of influencers... The Protestant church in particular seems to view charisma as often divinely inspired. Um, Others tend to see charismatic persuasion as dangerous or opposed to logical and intellectual persuasion. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the idea of, you know, uh, the subjective and the objective kind of being two sides of one coin. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a balance in that sense between thinking and feeling. Um, Is one more important than the other? And how does the balance have to lie? And maybe we did touch on this earlier before, but, yeah. I mean, you're not a human without feeling, or at least if you have zero feeling, most would consider you disordered, right? But I think this is what Christ means when he talks about spirit and truth, right? Is that the two, the two matter, right? So I can't be all touchy-feely with no objective truth, right? So, like, I don't have a problem that somebody might be emotionally affected by something, Right. Like that's not that's that's not intrinsically wrong. It's if my goal is to just emotionally manipulate or, or, or it's, it's to divorce it from the truth. Right. That's why I was just like with Sisyphus, I'm like, who cares how he feels? Right. Like yeah. that's secondary. If he happens to like it, cool. Um, but it's it's not the primary. Right. But the word charism itself means gift. Right. So like within a Christian context, it's like a charism is a gift, which means it's not intrinsically mine. It's something that I receive. So if I received, then the credit should be going to the giver, not to the one who's handing it out, right? And if a person that has a charism is functioning that way, it'll function very healthily because the person will be self-obsessed or self-absorbed, right? And the goal won't be, how do I make people feel X, right? It'll be, what are we saying, 
right? And then we can navigate how we feel, right? Um, and so like it's putting it in the right in the right order. But I think this like aim to make people cry, like I don't I don't understand it. Like it's it's I think it's there's also weird. the dangerous end of it that people worry about sometimes. Mm-hmm. I worry about it when I see like the crowds of people were crying and throwing themselves on the floor like they're trying to warn Kim Jong-un or something. And, you know, they're having seizures or whatever. And look at them. Is that entirely good? Right. Is this from a divine source or is it from something more sinister? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. um, I'd be curious to, to hear your thought on this because I like a lot of that... Um, a lot of, you know, these, like the charismatic movement kind of started more in the, in the Protestant traditions, right? Um, and my theory is that it, it's in large part because they don't have the sacraments. And I think there's a desire for them. And that's basically what the charismatic movement was, right? It's kind of like trying to fulfill that desire for something real, something immediate, something tangible. Yeah. And the closest they can get is like an experience or a feeling or like a, a miracle or something, something right. like that. Which the Catholics and the Orthodox would call sacramental, right? Like they're saying that like you're looking for a mystery, you're looking for a physical sign of a spiritual reality, right? In in doing that, so I, I think there's something to your point to be to be honest, and I think when when there is this intentional, and that's like we can't divorce any of the conversations from history. Right, everyone's always reacting to something, right? Like yeah. the Protestants are reacting to a particular way that they felt at the time of certain things. They evolved. Right. So like like then they inherit stances. Right. Same thing with all the other traditions. So it's like when you divorced some of these things from where they come from, you end up with these expressions that are like, what is this? And to the point, again, of, of that whole free will thing of just saying someone's free will had a really long term effect. Right. On 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 all of these things. So I've I've just discovered that I'm now onto the slew of fun questions, or at least for me. Uh, asking if you've ever seen a ghost or an angel or a demon or any kind of spiritual apparition, it almost feels like I'm asking if you've seen a UFO <laughs> in some way. Like, have you ever had an encounter with any of these things, UFOs included? Um, is this what we tend to call beatific visions? Are these? How do we know if an apparition is trustworthy? You know, even if it seems to tell you or reveal something that's good. Some people talk about like psychedelic hallucinations and they learn something from it, but we always say that a hallucination isn't necessarily a good thing. Mm-hmm. If you're a schizophrenic paranoid, all your hallucinations are bad by inference. But for some reason, when you hallucinate seeing a saint, it's a completely different thing. Right. So in monastic tradition, you don't talk about your own very much, but like, so I'll avoid that part of it, but I'll still talk about something like it. But and I, I have not seen UFOs. Have I had, have I seen stuff? Yeah, I just won't, I won't get into the details of that in terms of on a personal. And that's why I'm just saying it has to on some level be rooted in objective truth that like there is a, there is an answer to the question of did that person see that, right? Like to us, it's not just like this, this subjective made up thing. When it comes to something like an apparition or a miracle, right? It's there's even if we can arrive at the answer, we believe that there is an answer. So the church will usually have hesitation about public proclamations of those events because if it was mistaken or if there was something else, no one wants to be responsible for that. While we're also acknowledging that those things really do happen. So it's not that we're divorcing from, yeah, there could be miracles, but it's like, do you proclaim that? Right. Or or do you allow the individual the experience? So, for example, like we talk about the whole like atheistic phase, I was thrown off, for example, like 
my first retreat at that monastery, some random monk in a wheelchair that I've never met in my life, um, in the middle of crowds, right? Everybody's going up, taking his blessing and, and walking away. So I just copied them and walked away. And he yelled out after me um, my name, which he didn't know. Um, it was like my first or second. I was only there for three days. So like I didn't know anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and my former name before ordination is like yelling mom at a mall. Um, wow. But like call me by name and use an, an Arabic expression that's not just like a like it was a welcoming expression. But it's not the welcome you use like when somebody just comes home from work. Right. It's, it's a specific expression that you use when somebody's come from afar or after a journey. And so I turned around because I'm like, maybe it doesn't mean me. Like, again, the name is common. And then he points right at me and repeats it to be like, yeah, it's you. Right. Or, for example, there's experiences of people who because I, I, at one point I thought demonic possession is just some schizophrenic episode or some psychotic break. Right. But when you get like a five year old from a village in Egypt where he hasn't learned how to read and write Arabic because he doesn't go to school coming to a monastery and speaking in fluent English like he's been going to college. And then post-exorcism doesn't have that knowledge and he didn't even have an exposure to that language in those days. It's like that's now in the realm of the objective, like, occurrence, right? You can have a debate on the meaning, sure, right? But, like, that it occurred is a whole other thing. So I've had experiences of seeing people know things that couldn't possibly know, and I mean in specific details, right? Like, I've had an elder monk who's never left the country of Egypt named the city of Thunder Bay and events that occurred with somebody there that he couldn't possibly have known. I was the person, right? So it was like, I was like, yeah, remember when you and insert like these different activities that I did and things that I saw and I never, ever spoke to him about it Um, to the point that everybody like sitting around him assumed we had like some conversation about it before. So I have seen those things that I won't lie because I used to be like, oh, we don't need miracles to believe. But I'm like, well, I mean, they're helpful. Like, like they're, they're not they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, it's why, why not we believe in a supernatural world? Yeah. Why are we surprised at a supernatural occurrence? Yeah, like, I feel like uh, I, I went through a very similar process where I was basically, I was happy with like the sacraments. I was happy with the things that were more in the tangible kind of, because I was still a materialist, to be honest. I was still so, uh, you know, steeped in materialism my whole life. So it was hard to start breaking out of that. But you, I feel like you can't relate to scripture the same way. Like it's, it's there. It's so, there's so many times where like miracle, miracle. And like, you, you can't escape it. It's yeah. so uh, in your face yeah. right through the new Testament. You see it, you know, crazy miracles happening in the old Testament. It's like, okay, so is this just like, is this just simply symbolic or it's like, mm-hmm. well, we believe that God is capable of all things. Right. So it's, it's always going to have to be in the realm of possibility, but obviously you have to be careful because you have to test the spirits and make sure, well, number one, if it is in fact supernatural, and then if it is supernatural, was it a good angel or was it a bad angel? Because yeah. we know that the demons can, yeah. they can, they can perform their own miracles as well. And we actually, um, you see that like you, even in like uh, Exodus, right? They had the, the magicians, you know, <laughs> doing their own tricks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because some people, you know, they miss the definition of monotheism. They think it means there is only one God. And yeah, there's only one capital G God in the belief, but it doesn't mean there is only one major spiritual being. A bunch of smaller G gods, you know, uh, the Egyptian magicians, or even the existence of angels, or the existence of devils or demons. It doesn't mean that there is only one, you know, a spiritual being, clearly. 
It's that we only worship one. Yeah. And not just worship God. Again, it comes to the whole noun thing of that the word itself did have different meanings. Right? So, like, even the ultimate says, like, give thanks to the God of gods. Right? Yeah. And it wasn't an acknowledgement that the pagan gods were real gods. Right? But in the spiritual hierarchy, it's like there's, like, you were referencing Aristotle before. Like, there's, there's a whole mm. philosophy on on even bodies of celestial beings, right, yeah. in the ancient world. So, like, there's anything that was not human could have been put in that realm but things meant things. So, like, to your point of being, like, a, like, a hesitant yes, and like, from a Christian tradition, of being, like, yeah, but it wouldn't have been, like, oh, we recognize Zeus as a real god, right? But it would be, like, like you said, the angels, the realm of the, 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 realm of the celestial, essentially. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, a bit of a pivot on the topic of aliens and UFOs. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense for a Martian to become Christian if they exist? If they're intelligent and people like enough uh, and these aliens happen to exist, are they also in God's image? Can they become Christian? Does it make any sense for them to do that? Because the Bible, as we know it, seems more or less very centered on Earth. But we are, you know, the more we look outwards into space, we're like, wow, there's a lot of it out there. There might even be living things out there. I think we found evidence of water on Mars not too long ago. So how do we kind of wrap our heads around space? So, I mean, the Bible is a history of God's interaction with humans on the Earth, right? So, of, of course, it's like human-centered um, and, Earth, and Earth-centric. So to me, if there were to be life that we meet in intelligent life in these other places, it would be a question of what's your story with God, who we know to be the Trinity, right? So if they had a different narrative, that would beg a new comparative religion thing, right? Of being like, wait, does this contest what we thought we knew about God? Yes or no? Um, and then secondarily, because, for example, baptism has a specific meaning in the incarnation as a result of the fall. So it's, it's, they're not random events, you know what I mean? Like they're all linked to each other. So that narrative is completely different. If somebody had never had a fall, for example, right? That's why even in the realm of what we do know, angels don't get baptized, right? Because baptism means something to a human who has inherited that, right? That's what I mean about that whole theology can't be separated from the practice. Right. Right. Because it'd be like, no, 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 what's your theology? What do you know? What's your interaction? What, like, what did you see? It's interesting to think about because it's like, well, the Christian, Christ part of Christianity, it, unless Jesus was like Mormon Jesus and he was a space traveler in his spare time, they can't possibly have that same Christ figure mm-hmm. in that way. So it's not like they could ever become Christians, but in the same way that uh, we consider Judaism to be rooted in the same God, the aliens might do that. Are they when they come down? Are they going to be like another denomination, or mm-hmm. is it another religion altogether? Do they open their book and go, "Is these Zark one three fourteen or something?" I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess yeah, okay. That kind of puts things into a little bit more perspective. I guess one of the things I'm curious about with this is what is the nature of Christianity's coexistence with other religions? Because you know we consider that denominations. You know, we we don't rule out that they will go to heaven or hell. And obviously we talked a little bit about how Coptic Orthodox Christianity is very ethnically rooted. So it would be strange for us to stop and draw the line at some place. We have a certain number of precepts that you need to accept in order that way. But at least from my view, uh, from what I've studied, there's precepts in Zen 
and in Buddhism and a number of other religions, even some pagan beliefs that don't actually conflict. So is there a way for multiple religions to coexist and everybody go to heaven or like is it impossible because we do have come back to that objective truth idea as well exactly i think that's where like people get uncomfortable today i'm just like i mean we we are on some level calling each other wrong yeah like it's uncomfortable but we are right we are all an atheist thinks i'm wrong right a christian thinks that a hindu is wrong so like I'm like I'm gonna not skirt that like like in the sense of it's not just about precepts it's also about context. So I think a person can benefit if things are true from different precepts. In the same way that I could benefit from eating healthily even if I was eating healthily by accident, right? If I just happen to have a proper diet, I can still get health benefits. Is different from saying that of knowing why I'm right in that thing. Right. Or that somebody saying, no, 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 this is healthy because like my tree told me um, where it's like, wait, but there's a claim here now. Yeah. Right? Like, like the, what is the, what is the source of what made it true? Um, and so that in that regard, I'm like, scripture is clear that you specifically are supposed to believe in Christ. Right. I'm not hesitating because I don't like that scripture says that, but of saying that. I have a duty to that because I, I know and believe it to be true. What God wants to do about everything else, and it's not even, I'm not even trying to avoid or dance on the question, like, I actually have no idea, right? Of being like, what about the person who had no access to truth? What about the person who was so offended by scandal in their parish, right? Or like that their neighbor was a mass serial killer who acted religious, right? Like all those things that... Uh, are understandable why a person rejected faith, if you will, of saying it's only like, oh, well, it shouldn't matter because the actual belief is this. I, I do think that, but that's not where most humans are at, where it's just like, I don't know how I could call that true, right? Like if that's what it produces, that hence, like even in my own journey that I'm talking about earlier, saying, wait, you're actually acting the way that you said we're supposed to. That's why it was compelling, mm -hmm. right? So it was like, that's something like I, I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, because it's not, it was not based on the precepts. Where I'm like, could there be what I what I'll call exceptions based on scripture, right? Of saying that scripture says you need to be this, right? Unless you're baptized and born again of water and spirit, then you don't have a place in the kingdom of God, right? I, I'm not shying from that. We are saying that. Um, actually, that Christ is saying that we're we're repeating it, right? And that He says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you don't have life, right? But I also know that God can do whatever He needs to do about that. In the same way, for example, even scripturally, the right hand thief technically literally physically didn't do either but christ said you'll be with me today right so that's what i mean is like that that act of grace of god i guess is trying to get at is never governed by humans right mm -hmm. like the, the realm of grace is governed by him so on a systematic level i have no clue um like like really like what that looks it like would take a lot of reading and a yeah. lot of rule making <laughs> <laughs> oh on that kind of idea from the martians earlier because I recently came across this character figure, I should say, in history, um, who was called a heretic by the Vatican at one point, who, despite having once been a priest in it, his name was who? Uh, Giordano Bruno. Uh -huh. Yeah, know. he started basically at one point he had some kind of vision that kind of changed his way of thinking about things and had him really considering the concept of infinity. If we really say God is infinite, then 
you know, there must be an infinite amount of space. Wait, does that mean there's infinite Earths? Does that mean there's infinite people? Are these people all in the likeness and image of God? Do they then have to... Are they also bound to the same salvation that we are? And, you know, this was more or less around the time of Galileo, so obviously mm-hmm. the church had some strong feelings about this. The reason he ended up burning at the stake uh, was because he alleged this idea that what if the Martians have God too, right? And if they don't need Jesus, then why do we? Isn't the objective truth itself more important than the symbology that's made up of earthly ideas that we have? Mm-hmm. Which would be straying from the whole objective truth part of things, right? Like if, if we were doing Eucharist because it was just a cool habit, then that argument has merit. Right. But if Eucharist means something because Christ is Christ, that's something that's always coming to that whole sequence, right, of thinking. And that if Christ is Christ, it points at validity on some level of Judaism, which points back at scripture to be like, okay, creation. Like, like is it's... We're saying it's true because of Christ. We're not saying Christ is true because of Scripture, right? Like it, it's inverted, right? Like it's not because Scripture said that Christ is God that that made Christ God, right? He he either is or isn't. So what I'm trying to get at is that because these practices have a functional realism in the context of relationship, to me the argument would be moot, right? Because be like I'm not taking it because it's cool. Right. In the yeah. same way, for example, like I don't believe in the Trinity because it makes sense to me. It makes no sense to me. It's actually a very uncomfortable position to take. Right. <laughs> like it's just like it's, it's really rough. Like, I have no idea like how to say like there's these models. Right. So it's about whether something is true um, as opposed to like, like he has hypotheticals that might be worthy of investigation of saying if God is infinite, what does that mean? That's a great question. Right. So he might have theories about what it is. Right. And then but we would be saying, OK, so so long as it doesn't stray from scientific law but i mean that in a religious sense cool Mm -hmm. if you've collected enough data to challenge whether our laws should be law cool right um or something got expressed more clearly because it's something the catholics call doctrinal progression right Right. um like no problem but it's it's again i would be like are you subjecting it to as far as to to objective reality that we are aware of I find a lot of times like these, I, I don't know this particular guy, I've never actually heard of him, but I find a lot of times with these, you know, uh, so-called mystics or something, they have like these experiences where they start writing like these dissertations on these theories. It's like you question it like, okay, was this in accordance with your state in life when you started writing them? And that's always the biggest test I think for a bishop is like, it's a test of humility, mm-hmm. right? It's like, and that's the thing like the, you know, the fathers, you know, talked about like the first sin was curiosity, right? Because if you were led by your desire, I know it's probably not from God. <laughs> you know, it's like we have certain spiritual uh, principles that that are really useful when we kind of look at these things. And so a lot of times it's like these crazy ideas. It's like, okay, but then you start looking at the context in which they were found, the, the things that they were doing. It's like, okay. It's funny and then, to think of the Pope going, scratch that edict, low blood sugar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just in, in, in some sense, it's like, I, I it's, it's an interesting question, like Martians and what does that like, are they, you know, are, are, would they be considered human? Do they have, like, a rational soul and all these it's different like, would things? would it be but... wrong for me to stop being a Coptic Orthodox Christian and start being a Martian theist? And that's when it would depend on the narrative, right? So I'm saying, right. I'm not asking the Martian, I'm not, I'm not asking the Martian to be a human, you know what I mean? Like, or just being like, what's your story with the creator? What does your narrative 
add to or elucidate in terms of your knowledge yeah, of them yeah. if he's really who we believe factually to be yeah. right so like if it became an objective fact provable beyond any like to the best of our ability that they have these experiences and they're completely different from ours that begs a dialogue right like i think okay well what's going on here are we missing something are they missing something is there a misinterpretation like that's that but you're now in the realm of theology you know what I mean? Like like an actual discipline that's trying to yeah. be rooted in something real um, and going at it. And so like, I don't think the question would have to be theoretically, like hypothetically, do they need to become a Christian? Because like Christian theology is saying the logos always existed. He just in time took on flesh, right? So we're not saying that there's this man who became God and that's where the early church like fought about stuff, right? We're saying God was always God and he became man. Right. So if they interacted with the Trinity and just not the incarnated Christ, that wouldn't be problematic to us. Mm-hmm. Right. What would be problematic is if it was just like, no, no, no. God appeared to us and he said, I am not just Trinity. I'm also insert blah, blah, blah. Then we'd be like, OK, how do we evaluate that claim? All right. That makes sense, though. So I have a couple more more denominational questions. Uh, one, because he's here, just popped in my mind. <laughs> is purgatory real? This idea that there is a place between heaven and hell that you go to if you're not bad enough for hell, but not good enough for heaven. Well, actually, that's... Hold on. <laughs> okay, <laughs> to fine. A, to make a distinction. So purgatory, like... Purgatory is not... Um, it's not hell, right? And it's it's technically... All, all the people in purgatory are saints, right? So basically, purgatory, purgatory like in the simplest um, exposition, is just... Essentially, it's a, it's a state of purification. It's like you're not... You know that we we oftentimes we're gonna pass this life and we're still gonna have impure like we're still gonna have attachments we ought not have we're still gonna have i mean in the more juridical language they would say like um uh penances like not not done right so you've been forgiven but you still have like i guess penances to do um and so purgatory is kind of a of a is a state of purification where you can actually you know become i guess the person you were meant to be right because a lot of times we'll we'll end this life and not you know, we still have a lot of uh, dysfunctions, a lot of uh, sins, a lot of vices, and so purgatory is kind of this this place to uh, uh, to be pu- your your soul is purified, right? Now it's talked about like you're purified with the fires of hell and, and other things, right? Um, although I actually haven't studied too much, I I, I want to. Um, like I know it's it is like a it is a dogma in the Catholic Church, but I haven't read a ton in terms of like like you were talking about like what is law. And versus what is like mostly theory. And I know a lot that's talked about as though it's law is, is more closer to the theory part. Um, but I, I, I don't like the Orthodox, they, they, cause they, they use a term like theosis and things like that. And it's like an ongoing pro Like, I don't think like you, I, I, I can't speak to exactly what the Orthodox would say on this, but like, I know they have like toll houses. That's kind of one floating theory, uh, which sounds similar to purgatory, but it's not exactly the same. Yeah, I think the Torah thing is weird. Um, that's like a unique to one family of orthodoxy. And even within it, not well received. I think my issue would be putting it in the realm of dogma, really, is, is like the main issue, right? Or just saying that they're trying to convey or communicate a purgative state, right? Like, to, to your point. Mm-hmm. Um, which, on some levels, we intersect with. Like, there are some things that, that parallel to some extent. Um, I think, to me, my, my own personal issue with it is just the the over legalizing of the thing right or just saying you know here's a structure here's where it is what right. it looks like what the rule i'm like how do you know that right right like that's where it is and it's like even even again 
doesn't like I don't get annoyed anymore. Like that used to be a point of contention a while back, but I'm like, so I'm like, okay, there are things that we spoke about confidently in, in different times of history based on our context. Where I'm like, I my feel on purgatory is that actually the Roman Church has distanced itself a lot from some extreme positions that were taken, like at some point. So as a basic concept of, of strip from it the legality of location, place, rules, governance, like of, of how does one go through purgatory, um, where I'm like, to me, that's automatically in the realm of, of theory, mm-hmm. right? right? But the concept that there may be mercy after death is accepted in all traditions. Right. So even if it doesn't carry the name of purgatory, right, there's there's stories in our own tradition of through the prayers of this great saint, somebody somehow made it into heaven. Right. So it's just like whether he was in hell or a particular location in hell or we don't even understand hell. Right. Like regardless, like of whatever it is that we mean when we use the the terminology of that, we're making a claim that something changed. That's what Rome is doing, too. Right. So like so if they, in my view, went too far at one point in history um, in, in defining that, sure, no problem. Right. Like, like that's, I don't think that's an I don't think that's an issue. That's something like I think the more dangerous thing is to elevate something to dogma when we don't know yet, because it could be true. Right. Like, like it's not we're not even saying no way that that's a thing. And then being like, we don't know. So like I can't say to be this faith, you must accept this part of it right i think that's the distinguishing there yeah it's funny because the laity it always sounds like oh we have a get out of jail free card there's Mm. this place we can go to wimp out of hell yeah no that's definitely not (laughs) (laughs) it's like that's a a common misconception right it's like you, you you need to be in a state of friendship when you pass this life like you have to choose christ and purgatory is basically just it is an act of mercy on god's part right it is understood as such and it's just I mean, I, again, I want to read more. Like, I know St. Thomas talks about I haven't re- gotten to that part of the Summa mm-hmm. where he kind of goes like, okay, so how, like, you know, how does the soul even change outside of the body, right? Yeah. Like, how does the soul, like, what alterations could be done? And then there's also the question of justice, which is like, if you sinned in the body and you're trying to, you know, uh, make reparation for the sins that you did in the flesh, then how can you do that? when you don't have your body yeah so there's all this i'm sure i'm pretty sure in the sumo he goes through it but i just haven't gone that far hmm. i always like what alan watts said about the topic and the idea that if we don't have god to tell us exactly what the objective truth is all the time we have a tendency to take the throne of the absolute but the greater sin in that is saying where the limit of god's mercy is in that sense so whether there is a purgatory or whether he lets some people out of hell because they had the right tensions or something we never really know but we can't presume to know the limit thanks for tuning in for part two of our discussion with father anthony paul father ap we hope to put out part three very soon so stay tuned in the meantime you can follow us on twitter youtube spotify instagram google Podcasts, soundcloud linkedin rumble probably some other places soon all of them at the forest creek For inquiries or to connect with us about any of our content or services, feel free to email us at theforestcreek at gmail.com. You can find more of Father AP's stuff on his website, truthandfreedom.co. Don't forget to share, subscribe, follow, and all that. I mean, you know the deal, but listen, 
We're a small podcast, and we'd really appreciate your help getting out there. We'll be back soon with more. For now, good night and Godspeed.